Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator, news editor for Empire Magazine, Chris Hewitt. Hi everyone. Thank you for coming. Now, across United 93, Bloody Sunday, Green Zone, and of course, The Born Supremacy and The Born Ultimatum, Paul Greengrass has proved himself one of the finest directors in the world. His latest movie, Captain Phillips, is a gripping and brilliant true-life thriller about the hijacking of the Maersk, Alabama in 2009 by four Somalian pirates and the ordeal endured by his captain, Richard Phillips, who was kept hostage for four days. Now, before we meet Paul, let's take a look at the trailer. Everything okay? I don't like the look of that. They're coming in fast. This is Mask Alabama. We are an unarmed freighter. We have two skiffs approaching with armed intruders. Potential piracy situation. Copy Alabama. You should alert your crew and get your fire hoses ready. Uh, yeah, is that it? Chances are it's just fishermen. They're not here to fish. Shots fired! Hit the hoses! This is not a drill, this is a real world situation. We can't let him attach that ladder! 130 degrees! 130 degrees! boarded by armed pirates if they find you remember you know the ship they don't stick together it will be all right Look at me. Sure. I'm the captain now. Captain Phillips, can you hear me? Captain Phillips, can you hear me? Please welcome the director of Captain Phillips, Mr. Paul Greengrass. Hello, Paul. Thank you very much. How's it going, sir? It's very good. Good, good, good. So, Paul, it's been a couple of years since uh, Green Zone for you, and in that time you were flirting with, you were attached to a number of different projects, but obviously you ultimately plumbed for Captain Phillips. What was it about this one in particular that stood out for you? Um... Well, it was three things, really. I thought it was a great story and a great you know, world and clear characters. And, uh, um, you know, I didn't know the story, so that, that was a help, really, because when I read it, it sort of had a, a real sort of excitement about it. I loved the idea of making a sort of proper pirate movie that wasn't a sort of Pirates of the Caribbean-type pirate movie, but was about the real world of, you know, it's a sort of brutal... 
dirty old game. You know, it's international organised crime, really. But it's in Somalia, so, you know, there's all those issues. And uh, and um, chance to work with Tom. I thought that was a big, you know, we knew each other a bit, but had never found something to do. So that was good. And also my dad was in the Merchant Navy, in the Merchant Marine, as they call it in America. Uh, he was at sea all his life. So I wanted to make a film about that world. So all those three things sort of made it easy decision. So was that, in terms of make, wanting to make a film about uh, piracy and the real world piracy, was that an itch you had to scratch or in the same way that you had an itch with United 93 that you wanted to scratch and with Green Zone, with the Iraq war, ultimately? Um, or was this just something that came up? No, I mean, I was aware of it, you yeah. know. It's, it was on the... I mean, it's a very interesting subject because it really goes to the heart of, you know, the haves and the have-nots and, a, you know, a divided world and fast globalising economy, you know, the, all of which is traverses the sea lanes, so that always sort of made it compelling, you know, and I loved the two characters at the heart of it, the two captains from different worlds. So, uh, so it was really quite an easy decision, to be honest. It was sort of one of those where you go, yeah, I'm in for that. And how much did you mould the script when you came on board? How much did it change? Quite a bit. The first draft, Billy's draft sort of was like Philip's Billy Ray, book. Yeah. 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 It, it, it followed the story of, of, um, uh, Phillips, his first person account and then his wife's experiences at home and that I wanted to make a sort of film on the ocean so we did a lot of research basically to find out what much more about Moosey and the four pirates and the the whole sort of military response thing and then we, we did more drafts to make it where I wanted it to be you know mm -hmm. And there's a lot, there's a there's a great care as well given to uh, to the pirate story as well in terms of putting their story in context, uh, making sure they're not necessarily demonised or or made the fill-ins of the piece. Uh, yep. Can you talk about that that process as well? Um, well, I, I mean they are the villains of the piece. Yeah. So I don't think you can get away but from not that. Sort of, you know, it's, it, the point is, it's it's what was interesting about it was that it was a crime story, and and not a story about terrorism or any of those things. They, they all felt very much sort of to do with the post 9-11 world. This felt to me much more contemporary. And the, the best crime stories do two things. It, it, they deal with the crime and its consequences. So there's a sort of moral clarity to it. Uh, you know, and you can see that in literature, you know, Crime and Punishment, that's the classic Dostoevsky crime story. Or more modern, you'd go non-fiction, it would be In Cold Blood, you know. Which is, so it's, but it's always the sort of narrative, dramatic clarity of crime and, and its consequences because you're, you have the clarity of, you know, the, the criminal and the victim always at the heart and the consequences for both. But, but... You also, in great crime stories, have, along with that clarity, the ambiguity and the m moral ambiguity of the crime and its relationship to the society that gives rise to the crime. So you get both. And that's what you get here. You know, you can't... You're aware that these young men are, you know, engaged in the kidnap and piracy business, which is a brutal business but they come from a world where there are very, very few choices. And that sort of 
stark division creates all sorts of layers in, in the story that I like. Mm. And what, what sort of research did you do into that world? And how did you gain, gain insight into that world? Uh, well, we went to see a lot of people who knew all about it, um, watched lots of stuff. A lot of There's a brilliant academic study which was basically just a, a whole series of interviews with... Um, young pirates in prison, basically, but in Mogadishu and in, in Kenya. That was very interesting because it was just like, it was like meeting 50 pirates, basically. I, I did think about going to Somali, but the problem was we were committed to filming dates and they, I couldn't get insurance. You know, the, they would have had to cancel the film if I went, so. But I met quite a few people who knew Musa and, and the other three guys. Um, I tried to meet him in prison, but 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 couldn't for various legal reasons. Um, but it was interesting. Absolutely. And um, you're you're obviously known for your meticulous research, and authenticity is a huge thing for you. And uh, watching this movie, the, the the storming the ship sequences, how true to real life were they? Are they actually recreations? Oh of, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how yeah. they do it. That's yeah. exactly how they do it. And there's fantastic stuff. I mean, even if you just go online and look at pirate attacks, you see. Absolutely staggering kind of attack. They come in those skiffs, and believe me, it's incredibly uh, it's incredibly dangerous what they do because you know going alongside a a container ship that's moving at speed is incredibly dangerous because the undertow from a thing that a volume is incredible, and yeah, they get the ladder up. I mean, it's unbelievable, really. We actually have a uh, the first clip from the movie is of the first moment that Captain Phillips and the crew of the Maersk Alabama spot. The two skiffs, so let's take a look at that. Two skiffs. Can't tell how many they're carrying. Copy that. There's no answer at the U.S. Maritime Emergency Line. Raising UK MTO. This is the Maersk, Alabama. Here's the captain. UK MTO. Operations? Receiving. This is the Maersk, Alabama. Our position is 2 degrees 2 north by 49 degrees 19 east. Our course is 180. Our speed is 17 knots. We have two skiffs approaching at a distance of 1.5 miles with a possible mothership following. Potential piracy situation. Coffee, Alabama, you should alert your crew, get your fire hoses ready, and follow lockdown procedures. Uh, yeah, it, is that it? I'm relaying your transmission now, but chances are it's just fishermen. They're not here to fish. They certainly are not there to fish. Um, in terms of filming that, how did you go about doing that? Uh, well, we shot in off Malta. Um, and it took a lot of planning. The problem when you shoot on sea is, is you can't really supply your unit and also to reset anything in with, with, with skiffs, and, you know, even more so with a, with a large vessel. It just takes forever because everything's moving. You know what I mean? So you can't tell everybody to stop and then reverse and come back to a start line. You've got to create start lines that might be miles ahead and get everybody to come to a... So you've got to get your cameras in position, then you've got to turn the ship, and then you've got to get the skiffs and coordinate them all to come to a point. So it takes forever, and it's, it's a... Believe me, it takes weeks and weeks of planning, and then there are, you know, a lot of safety issues around working with small... Uh, skiffs close to a large, you know, speeding container ship. Um, uh, you know, really a lot of safety issues. That was a lot of my time was taken up with that. You have to work out all your safe distances and 
you know, when you, at what point you would have bought and for what reason and all that stuff, you know. But again, it's this commitment that you have to for a similitude and to authenticity. It's a commitment that you, to yeah. getting, keeping safe. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Not most killing people, anybody. a lot of directors would have just shot on a green screen on a, on a studio. You didn't want to do that. Yeah, but that wouldn't have been... The fun was to be out on the ocean and have an adventure. You know? mm. And that was, that was a really big part of it. And you had your sea legs already, I presume. You were okay yeah, on the, on the water. Yeah, I was all right, but a lot of people weren't. We had a lot of people throwing up. It was a definitely a vomit-filled film. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> Not Tom, presumably, no? No, he, he was, was good. Okay. He was yeah. good. Though there was one brilliant day when we, had, uh, we were shooting in the lifeboat first day, and first the focus puller threw up all over Tom, and then Barry <laughs> threw up all over the focus puller. And that was absolutely brilliant. That was. Set up a human chain. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Be interesting. Was that on the DVD by any chance? Uh, you um, see that? No, 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 but it, it did make me laugh, I must say. <laughs> Needless to say, I said, keep on shooting. <laughs> it's interesting as well watching the, uh, the defense system that the Maersk Alabama has. I think a lot of people would be surprised by that, that these massive ships have such a relatively puny defense system. They have to well, they don't have any. They don't have any. Yeah. Nowadays, they have security guards on them, but in a way, that's part of the... You know, what, what's interesting is that's all part of the creeping militarization of, of our world. You know, our, our engagement with... The, you know, the world of the haves engaged with the world of the have-nots at the point of a gun, you know. And this was one of those moments when the ratchet up turned you know suddenly there was no such thing as commercial trade it all went you know at the point of a gun absolutely and we actually have another scene now where uh it's another attempt to board the ship and uh this one actually we'll see the hoses in action which is very interesting as well so let's take a look at this clip stand by Alabama, this is your final warning stop the ship we are men Shots fired! Shots fired! Hit the hoses! Again, going back to the, the defense system, they have hoses and a couple of flares. Did that surprise That's it, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, or did you know about that well, I mean, from no, your I mean, they're civilian ships, yeah. you yeah. know. Um, as I say, what, one of the things that was interesting about this event is it marked the end of, you know, of 100 years of, of civilian shipping. It doesn't exist now. It's, mm. it's all carried at the point of a gun, you know. Mm. And that sort of tells you something about the world, really. You know? Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why you wanted to get involved with it, I, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And we, we saw there uh, that Tom is there as Captain Phillips. I mean, was he on board already whenever...? He was already there. Yeah. That was a big part of it for me, yeah. Okay. And he was fantastic. You know, a brilliant actor. And I think he, 
I think the interesting thing about Tom Hanks is that sort of he 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 plays the ordinary man so well, you know, and that's not easy. You know, we're we're in a sort of cinematic era, you know, dominated by superheroes basically. Mm. But he's always built his career by playing these ordinary men, and that takes real self-discipline because you have to accept these tremendous limitations to what you can do. You you don't have extraordinary powers. You're not a soldier with you know extraordinary training. Mm. You know, you, you're just an ordinary man with an ordinary range of emotions. Yeah. And, and what he manages to do by sort of accepting those limitations is get deep and find a sort of real reservoir of humanity underneath it. And that, I think, is why he manages to make these sort of ordinary men, you know, like the captain in Saving Private Ryan or, or this one, I think. Yeah, he mean, managed to make them so incredibly memorable and immortal, you know. Mm. They're very matter-of-fact performances. There's no histrionics there. There's no, there's no look at me Brilliant. acting. No. Uh, what, was, what was your first conversation with him like about this movie? You say you'd met him before, you'd spoken to him before, but specifically about this film, what did you, what did you talk about? Uh, we sat down and, uh, and we chatted away and I sort of gave him my spiel about the film and it was this and it was that and globalisation and he sort of looked a bit and he said, yeah, I guess so. It's kind of, it's a bit like a guy in peril in the sea, isn't it? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but he was right, you know. Yeah. It, it, but, but he was a great collaborator and a, fantastically hard-working and just a really nice man. And how did you work with him? Did you change your methods to work with him in any way, or did he change to... No, Did you meet no. each other halfway, or...? No. In fact, funnily enough, the first two days I was a little bit sort of tentative, uh-huh. just because I sort of thought I'd start in Massachusetts and shoot all that stuff quite steadily. With Catherine Keener as his wife? Yeah, yeah. and okay. uh, I had a dolly and track out, yeah, even first time in... That's a not decade, like yeah. yeah, or if not a lot further. And then after a couple of days, I got bored with that, so I chucked him <laughs> all the way. And he came up to me at lunchtime and said, oh, thank God, he said, I thought I was gonna, wasn't going to get the proper experience of the madness. I said, oh, you wait. We can get very mad now. <laughs> <laughs> what was he expecting, do you know? Well, just it, it ought to be mad in my usual way, you know. <laughs> Making stuff up and doing all that, you know. So is that, is that still roughly what happens on a Paul Grass set that you're... Rolling with the chaos, punches, mate. And, yeah. absolute chaos. Yeah, you that's a movie what like they this. all say. Yeah, yeah. I like chaos. It's good. Chaos is good. Yeah. You, know, you get boring films if it's all. It's like it's like cooking. Do you know what I mean? You can either sort of cook, and it's all sort of pre-planned, and you end up with airline food <laughs> in little boxes. You know, yeah. or you kind of do a bit of bish bash bosh, and it's <laughs> it's good. That's a secret. Bish bash bosh. There nice you go. and easy. That's what I like. I was lucky enough to be on set of Green Zone, and it's interesting that you. Oh, well, that was bish bash bosh. <laughs> <laughs> and some. You, uh, you hundred million dollars of bish bash bosh. <laughs> but you do. You did long takes in that one. You did. We're doing 10, 15 minute takes yeah. sometimes. Yeah, was like that similar that. approach in this one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good because you can get your actors to disappear in the role. Then you know, mm. they forget the cameras, and you can start to get, you know. Re- some something fresh. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of which, I mean, I, I love what you uh, you did with Tom and uh, Barkat, who plays Muse. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you can tell that story about you kept them apart, I believe, before they, they met on screen for the first well, time. Well, we had four young... The pro- one of the problems of this film was to find four Somali actors to play those parts. In fact, all the parts were Somali. A lot of them were from the UK, but the four main parts were from... Uh, from Minneapolis, because that's where the largest Somali community in the US is. 
And I was actually worried at the outset. I thought, how are we going to be able to find that um, number of Somali actors? Well, in fact, there are unbelievable numbers of Somali actors in this country and, mm. and in the US. They just haven't been able to make their way into the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. And we found these guys, and they were absolutely brilliant, and they, they really worked hard, and they were just natural storytellers and you know, fantastic blokes. And, 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 well, you can see in the film, they're just, they're just superb. Fantastic, yeah. But I was worried with the first, uh, you know, their first day with Tom, because you know, he's Tom Hanks, so I didn't want them to be inhibited, and I didn't want them to have become his friend for that moment when they come through the door. So I just kept them in separate hotels and then literally that, that was the first moment they set eyes on each other. And it, and it sort of worked because they were ferocious. I mean, they really, they really beat him up good and proper. It was good. <laughs> it was excellent. And afterwards for the second take, how was that? Oh, well, then it was all, oh, so you live in <laughs> Minneapolis. How do you find the snow? <laughs> so you're Tam Hanks. How do you do that? It was brilliant. <laughs> so the open casting calls, so these, how many people turned up roughly in Minneapolis and where was uh, the other about ones? About 800 in yeah, Minneapolis. 800, yeah. And you were there seeing 800 people? Or did no, you we were going to boil them down to 30 that I would meet. Okay. And uh, in the end, they were so good and they, were putting, they put 800 people on tape, or there enough. And, um, but they were so good. I, I met them in Los Angeles and you could just tell they were, they were fantastically good and just really, you could... You can tell with actors very quickly the ones that sort of really, really have a hunger and a desire mm. and marry that with innate storytelling ability. Mm. I mean, that Barkad Abdi, the main guy, is a, he's absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's, he's brilliant and, and, and deft and unusual and he captures two things. He captures the sort of menace and the brutality and the cynicism of... Uh, you know, of a guy who's going to kidnap you, but he also captures humanity and yeah. a much sort of deeper truth about where he comes from. And, you know, you you get a picture of a desperate man with nothing to lose, which mm. is always the most dangerous person to have a gun. Absolutely. Had you not found four Somalian actors, mm -hmm. what would you have done? Been fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Surely out of chaos, you can do something about that. You'd struggle without the actors, <laughs> let me tell you. That would be difficult. We'd um, be talking to someone else now. <laughs> no, you would be in real difficulty. Yeah. But, uh, but actually, as soon as I, as soon as you sort of saw the things come, you could just tell there was, you know, just real vibrancy and creativity. You know, fantastically. Um, I mean, that was the real privilege of the film was spending time with all those people and they were just brilliant fun and they you know and of course they are they they were interested in getting a proper picture of these guys you know because they understand that world and of course they're very concerned about you know Somalia being stigmatized by piracy and al-shabaab for that matter you know which is a different thing that's terrorism you know but but it's a, f a failed state it has all those problems you know um you know I'm, I'm, that was why the film worked, I think, because they were able to bring a humanity to these people. So you understood that they were a response to a society in crisis, not a representation of a whole people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that, 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 only Somali actors could have done that. Mm. 
And the crux of the movie is that relationship, as you said, between the two captains, mm. between Muse and, uh, and Richard Phillips. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit further? I mean, what about that relationship? Well, I mean, that's the, that's the film. It's yeah. the trial of strength between the two of them. And, and in a way, having a movie star on the one hand and this unknown new actor on the other, the physicality of it and the, and the differing stages of their careers relative to each other created a rub in the casting which is what you want you always want your casting to to create a dynamic before before the film you know it's almost at the first sight of them you you create a um, you know something that's pushing your story along and uh, and they really did that but but you know it it when you watch the film what's remarkable is that Barkad crafts the throw of his character every bit as accurately as Tom does it's it's remarkable really Absolutely. we have uh, one last clip from the film and if you have any questions for Paul you can ask him uh, so this clip takes place after the, uh, the, the Somalian pirates have stormed the ship boarded the ship, things have happened and now they're about to leave the ship and Richard Phillips is uh, showing him how to use the lifeboat, take away Okay, bring him up! Oh. Oh. You got the crew! No, don't, don't, Cap! Oh. Don't get in there! We gotta get him off the ship! Not like this! Cap, you can't do this! God damn it, Cap! This thing, let it go! All right, all right, send them on in, I'll come on out. Okay, send him in. Let him go. Come on, let him go, man! Let him go! Hey! Go! Send the captain out! All right, now that handle, see? You're gonna wanna move that up and down. You gotta pump it one, two, three, four, five, and then you drop. Cap, come on out. Cap, Cap, what's going on in there? Just, just you know, however many times it takes, pump it, and you're in the water, and off you go. Okay, so any questions now for Paul? Please raise your hands. We've got some roving microphones going around. There's a lady right here in the front row, and then a gentleman here also in the front row. So this lady. Hi, my Hello. name is Mo. Hi, Mo. Um, did you have any problems with the airline? Uh, not the airline, sorry, the <laughs> mask, the, the the container company. No, they were good actually. To be fair, uh, we rented one of their ships. Um, I didn't know anything about renting ships, but you can rent them. Right, it must be quite <laughs> expensive. Uh, it's quite expensive. Yeah, actually, we didn't have very much money on this film, and that was a real issue. But but we rented one of those ships and brought it to Malta, and they were very good. They, to be fair, what they did was they were sort of very open-handed in the way. You know, I explained what I wanted to do, and I explained that I wanted to sort of make a pretty authentic portrait of these events, and they just. They, they, they sort of embraced it, you know. They, they didn't try and put strings attached. They didn't try and have views on the screenplay or interfere in any way. They literally just said, anything we can do to help. And there's quite a lot of Maersk shots in it. But, you, you know, there yeah, are lots of Maersk containers. That's, you know, that's part of the reality of it. But uh, that sounds a bit true. The point is they weren't to know how this film would turn out. And, you know, it, it, but they... That was what was good. They 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 embraced it as a 
as a project and it takes a bit of courage from their point of view and they did and the same with the navy to be fair you know they they there wasn't this sort of micromanaging thing they just they were in for it and they helped and then we got on with it which was good fantastic uh, there's a gentleman down here if you just uh, you got the mic Go. i'm amir um, hello <laughs> So I had a question because um, when you wanted to cast Tom Hanks, you didn't think that, okay, it's going to be a bit risky because uh, it's been for a decade that his movies were about a bit failure. So And then his biggest movie, it's back to 2002 in Cast Away. So you didn't feel first, okay, maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it. And now when I, when I look at critics, I can they say that, his performance in this movie is one of his greatest performances. So it reminds me a bit uh, like uh, Godfather and the bit with Marlon Brando, why he did, they didn't right. first... You know, um, well, uh, listen, he's a fantastic actor and you know one of the great movie stars of all time. Um, you know... Uh, I think most actors wouldn't mind having the box office that he, he's had in the last 10 years, quite apart from before that. And, uh, you know, the, there's, there's an expression in football, you know, form is temporary, but class is permanent. And, uh, and Tom Hanks, believe me, is just class all the way. And I think one of the things I think he's been doing in recent years is, which is why he's remained such a brilliant actor for so many decades is because he's prepared to tackle very, very different things. You know, m m movie like Cloud Atlas, which, you know, divided audiences and critics. Some people loved it, some people weren't so keen, but it was a really bold kind of inventive piece. You know, he, 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 he's done all sorts of different films. He was on Broadway last year, you know, doing a play. So, and, and what that does is it keeps you fresh so that you're ready for the next piece so uh, no he's a he's a he's an absolute Rolls Royce of an actor believe me are you too close to the film and at, at this point in time to rank his performance in the pantheon of Tom Hanks performances can you impossible I, what I do know I mean obviously I'm biased but I absolutely think it's one of the great Tom Hanks performances I do because it's got such humanity and such you know variation and and you know you you go through that whole experience with him so powerfully and the you know the the feeling at the end you have is so overwhelming you know um i think he's brilliant i think he's just brilliant fantastic there's a gentleman here and then we'll go back to you guys thank you hi paul you're right my name's Bradley. yeah Hello, I just wanted to ask, you talked about you was researching the Somali pirate side yep. and that side of the sort of world you invested in. Did you speak to the crew of the Alabama at all? I did. Tom Hanks I spoke character? to every yeah. one of them. Did yeah. they help out the film at all? Or? Uh, well, it, uh, most of them did. Some of them didn't. Uh, there was a lawsuit. Um, uh, some of them, after it happened, uh, you know, tried to sue Merce Corporation. Um, and a few of them uh, in the lawsuit sort of suggested that Phillips had taken the wrong course. And that was an issue for me. I mean, I can't speak to the lawsuit because this doesn't concern me. But that allegation, I was very concerned about to know whether it was true or not. And I looked into it and it, I was absolutely 100%, 100% satisfied that was not true. The route that the Alabama took was the, the same route that 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ships took, you know. Um, uh, but we spoke to a lot. Of them. A lot of the crew. We had our premiere in New York about ten days ago, and a lot of them came, and we gave them a big round of applause. It was great. Shane Murphy, the number two, he was there. Again, had that lawsuit not worked out the way you were hoping it would work out, would that have been a problem? Could you have not done the movie in that case? Or? No, I was. It, 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 I mean, you any event you'll always find issues you know there are always different interpretations of it and part of your job is to assess the material and make judgments about what you think happened you know as you would in in anything and 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 you make strong judgments and then you stand by them you know and i i i was quite satisfied that that he was that phillips was a extremely competent uh, professional, experienced merchant mariner uh, whose concern had been the safety of his crew and the safety of his ship following a route that every other ship was following. The point was nobody had ever attacked a ship with that high uh, 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 you know, a, a shipboard, it was that high out of the water. That was absolutely unprecedented. And a ship with such speed and size, it was, it was the first time that had ever happened. And that was really what undid them. They, you know, their, their presumption was that they would be okay, but they were not. Absolutely. Uh, there was a gentleman over here, and then we'll go to you at the back. Thank you. Hi, Paul. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, do you make a conscious choice to base your films on true life stories rather than fictional pieces? Um, not. I mean, I've done both. I mean, I did the Bourne movies. They're sort of and Green Zone. They were they were sort of fictional stories. You know. Certainly the two Bourne movies were, were sort of popcorn movies. They were big Saturday night franchise movies, you know. I like all the films that I make to feel grounded and, you know, have a bit of balls, if you like. Um, but then I also do, you know, stories that are based on reality too. But I, I try not to, I try to mix and match them. You know, not do too many of one in a row and then do something else, you know. Okay, there's a gentleman here right at the back. Thank you. Hi, Paul. Hello. Um, I was going to ask, not about Captain Phillips, but would you ever consider coming back to do another Bourne film? And um, what did you uh, think of the Bourne legacy? Um, I, 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 listen, I loved making the Bourne movies that I made. I had a great time. It, they were a incredibly hard work, but, but they were a blast. You know, they were good fun. Um, and I'm very proud of them but it, you've got to know when to stop with those things you know it's too easy for me I, I just didn't want to come back and do one that my heart wasn't in and so when they asked me to come back I sort of thought about it for a while and I, I was tempted but when I really looked into my heart I was really only tempted by the sentimentality of staying in something that I'd had a lot of fun with and uh, what actually happened was that I initially said I would. That's actually what happened. Have I told you this? Yeah, yeah. I told I them so, I yeah. would. Yeah. And then I woke up the next day and I knew that I'd made the wrong decision. You know, sometimes when you're really conflicted about something, you only know when you choose. You know what I mean? And it, either you've made the right choice or you know immediately that you've made the wrong. I just knew immediately that it was the wrong choice. And then I phoned them up and they were very, very nice about it. And I just said, listen, my heart, I can't. My heart's not in it, and it never will be. I, I, I've done. I'm done with, with it. I've done with that. I love it, 
but, but I want to move on and I want to do some other films. And, uh, and they were lovely and then they got, um, you know, they, they had to carry on and they did Born Legacy, which, you know, I wish them well with it. It's, you know, I hope they make more and I hope they're good. You said in the past that if uh, you could find the right story that you and Matt might do a Born for. So whenever you said yes, that initial point when you said yes, was there a story in place? Did you have a no. rough idea, an outline maybe? Nothing? I had some ideas as to how I would do it, but it never really, you know, loose ideas. It never, it was never going to work. It was, it was, you know, the point, the point was, the point about those franchises, they're worth so much money. They're such colossal pieces of investment by the studio that, that they have to keep them going. I mean, I understand that. And you, you have to understand that you serve those franchises. They're not yours. And um, then you have to hand them over to somebody else to have a go and do, you know, do their version of what I did. And, and if you hang around, you're just... Number one, it's not good for you. Because what are you doing? You're, not, you're no longer really a filmmaker. You're just churning them out for the, you know... Because you, because maybe you can't, you don't have the balls to do other things, or maybe you've forgotten how or whatever. Um, but I just, I, I had a deep desire to, to do other things and that's and get and not be defined by them. Absolutely. But I'm proud of them, you know. Uh, there's a gentleman over here. Thank you. And then we'll go. Okay. Yeah. Hi. I just want to ask you, um, what's your take on? You know, Somali people thinking, you know, you just portray uh, piracy, but the real issue is, you know, th those piracy used to be fishermen that used to protect their, you know, sea. Um, this majority of Somali thinking, okay, they just, you know, um, these films only concentrate on, on the captain rather than the pirate's background. But so, have you seen the movie? No, I haven't seen it, but there's a few clips. So, but I'm, I'm just saying, there's, yeah. a, there's, there's a few, few Somalis thinking, okay, there's only concentrating um, the, the story of... Oh, listen, of the, I, yeah. I understand, and if I was Somali, I'd think like that. What I would say is go and see the film and then let me know if you still feel that, because I don't believe that you would feel like that. You've seen the yeah, film, I've seen you, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I, I think on the contrary, I, I would say across the board now I can, you know it's difficult for me to speak for my film because I, I I made it you know what I mean but but I think it would be fair to say and Chris would be a better person to talk about this than me I think the most noticeable thing about what people have said in reaction to this film you know critically and audiences too in America what surprised them is that it's just as much about the young pirate as it is about the captain and it's the humanity and the, the sort of the strength of the characterization of the, of the Somali guy. And why? Because we had 50-odd Somali actors who were making sure that story got told, you know, and that was why we made it in that way, you know. Um, so what I would say is I totally understand. There's no doubt that Somalis, and I understand and respect it, you know, they feel stigmatized by the problems that afflict Somalia. Um, the answer to that is you can't ignore the problems that affect Somalia. I think most Somalis agree with that. But what they ask for is a, 
a view of those problems, in this case piracy, that's authentic and true and understanding of the great forces in Somalia to do with, you know, collapse of central government, overfishing in their waters, you know, fishing communities being destroyed by toxic waste dumping, all those issues that gave rise to it, warlord activity. And I think you'll find in our film that all of that is really, really reflected because those people who took part in our film ensured it was there. That answer your question? Cool. Thank you. We've got time for one last question over here in the front row. Thank you. Uh, I have a question about United 93. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to say it was a really amazing film. But, oh, um It was about the portrayal of... Um, there you go. <laughs> Sorry, I can't see <laughs> you. Know, right. uh, it was about the portrayal of Christian Adams. I, like, there was a bit of controversy around that, considering that he was the European passenger on the plane. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't really any evidence supporting that he was acting cowardly, as some have suggested. And I was just wondering, like, how did it come about that he was portrayed like that? Um, well, um, first of all, I, I don't agree. And I think you'd be hard-pushed. I think if you put that audience up in front of a thousand people, I don't think you'd find many if any, who would say that he was portrayed as a coward. I don't, I don't believe that, that to be true. So that's my first... I'll, I will answer your question, but I, I'm, I'm just contesting. I don't think that was that portrayal at all. Second point is there wasn't any controversy. What there was was one article in The Guardian. Fair enough. Guy's entitled to his opinion. But in a, an ocean of articles about that film that, that appreciated what it was trying to do one comment was made, but that doesn't make controversy. Do you know what I mean? That makes one guy had an opinion, which is fine. He's entitled to his opinion. But let's, let's not pluralise it. It was one guy. OK. That film was made for a particular reason. OK? 9-11, I think we'd all agree, was a fantastically important event in our world because it, number one, because it happened and what it was. But number two, much more importantly, I think, because of the way it absolutely transformed politics in, in our world. You know, it, 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 it drove our world with fear and, and a desire for revenge and, and paranoia and, you know, all that's followed from there. This, this you know, the maelstrom of, of, of the way our world has gone, Okay. I'm going to answer this at length because I think it's really important and I respect your question, but I'm, I'm just doing, you know, I really want to get to the issues here. Okay, 9-11, from my point of view as a filmmaker, it was the most important event. So I wanted to make a film about it, okay? What was interesting to me and what, what concerned me was that 9-11 almost immediately was given a whole series of meanings principally by politicians and, and most importantly in the events on that aeroplane if you remember within a day or two it became let's roll let's roll meant let's get them you know that's what President Bush said he, let's get them, let's roll and it became a rallying cry for a certain sort of politics and a certain political response right and all sorts of meanings were given to 9-11 so what I said was, I want to make a film that explores, as best I can, 
what the meanings of those events actually are if you remove your preconceptions and you just looked at the event for what it actually was. Okay? And I felt that the epicenter of the event was that particular aeroplane. And the reason for that was very clear to me. The point was, I remember very clearly 9-11, I was cutting a film in, in Soho when it, when it happened. And I remember that sort of period of several hours, and it was several hours, when you knew that something unbelievable had happened, but you, and you knew it must be kind of some form of political violence, but you didn't really know. People didn't know what Al-Qaeda was in those days, you know? If you'd have asked a straw poll of people, nobody would have known, you know? <coughs> the point was, when we were all reeling around going what is this and what does it mean and what do we do and how do we respond and how do we process it that there were 40 people on an aeroplane faced with it and they were the first people to enter the post 9-11 world the world that we've now inhabited for for 12 years okay and they had to process who these people were what they were trying to do and what could happen, and, and it became a, a little prism, and these four men who'd, who were, who'd taken the plane were equally in that world, and that was a sort of prism in which you could see where we were going to go, right? And it ended up with a desperate struggle for the controls of an aeroplane, and that high-tech aeroplane, to my mind, was our world, you know? So that was the film I wanted to make, what I wanted to do was to explore as clearly as I could what that experience must have been like to see what it made you feel and what, it, what meanings you would draw from it if you were acted without prejudice. The tools for doing that are the tools of drama. That's called actors. Not writers who've decided what it is, uh, but actors, because I believe, for better or worse, I, I really do believe, that acting, the, the, the art of acting, the, the, the power of acting, is a tool to unlock truths. It's not the same as journalistic truth, it's not the same as historical truth, but actors can tell you things that you couldn't know if they hadn't acted. They can get into spaces and tell you, not what happened as a sort of matter of fact, but when you put it all together, it has a truth, and you go, it must have been something like that, right? I believe that. I, it's like it's just you either believe that that is possible or you don't. I believe it is, right? So, what, so believing that, we set up a creative process. And the rules were that we would start with all the known facts... Okay, that we could know. And you could actually know a lot about that aeroplane flight. You could know it from all the other flights. And if you look at the various 9-11 commissions, you know, it's all there. You could know a lot about it. We cast real air crew, real pilots, and they told you a lot, and we shot it in a real aeroplane. When you get in there, you can work out a lot of things from using those people and 40 actors to know what must have been happened. I'll give you a for instance for that. Up until we made that film, the idea was that those passengers had pushed a dining cart down the centre of the, the, um, 
aeroplane and sort of smashed it into the... Well, you've only got to get onto a real aeroplane with a real dining cart. You realise that can't possibly have happened because you can't push those things down the aisle because they, you know... And also, if you're sitting at one aeroplane and your job is to get to four people who you think are going to you know, crash the plane, you're going to run fast. You're not going to go behind a dolly cart like this. So I can't prove to you that's the case. But it, it was absolutely, without a doubt, it must have been like that. Okay, that's an example of one small error. But what you're trying to do is use that company of actors in a real space with some professionals to unlock what it must have been like. If you close your eyes and look at it, it must have been a bit like that. Okay? Then we went to every single family on that aeroplane and asked for their permission to make the film, including the family of that particular gentleman. Right? Every single one of them agreed. They all came from different parts of the world, different parts of America, different political opinions, quite radically divergent ones. And we spent a lot of time going and explaining what we wanted to do and asking their permission. And they all agreed. Okay? When we got in the plane, and you've watched the film, right? Yeah. It became very clear to us that the central issue was, and if you think about it on a human level, you're in an aeroplane. It's been hijacked. You do not know what happened on 9-11. That's not known to you. All you're aware of is that four men who seem to be carrying bombs have hijacked your aeroplane. Okay? The overwhelming human desire is to believe that this plane is going to be landed and there's going to be a negotiation and you're going to get free because that's what you want to have happen. Okay? And that is how, up to that point in history, most, if not all, hijacks have ended up in some version. There may be a shootout on the ground, but essentially... The plane. Nobody had ever witnessed people hijacking planes and crashing them into buildings. Okay, that was beyond our awareness. We know it now, but they didn't know it then, right? So, what was very clear, and now I'm talking about actor's instinct. Every actor in that uh, aeroplane was saying, "I feel." That's an actor's instinct. I feel that I would be thinking somebody's going to land this plane, it's going to be alright, pray God it's going to be alright, okay? The German actor, because the rules of the piece were that each actor had to find their own destiny in the piece, that was the rule, and we, out of that collective expiration would come some dramatic truth, and I believed it would shed light on what happened, okay? I can't tell you it was exactly it, but I believed it would, it would tell you some truths about it. That young German actor, who was a very thoughtful, intelligent man, he said that, the, that as a German uh, citizen, the last hijacking Germany had landed successfully and everybody had got off. And he said he, that was a very well-known fact in Germany. And he said that would be absolutely in the forefront of my mind. I would be not wanting people to, uh, to attack the plane for fear that it would cause an accident. I would, be, I would be the voice. I would be at the forefront of the voices saying, we must give this time, we must let them land. And it wasn't about cowardice, it was about his absolute... He was acting on the knowledge that he had, okay? 
And I don't believe it was counted. It was part of the debate in the plane. We know from those phone calls that they had a debate about what to do, that there were different opinions. And that's what we reflected. Now, can I say that conversation happened exactly like that? No. But do I believe in that aeroplane that there must have been voices of people saying, and I would definitely have been one, by the way, I would have been saying, for fuck's sake, don't do anything. They're going to land this thing. Don't do it. We mustn't do anything that can cause a problem, right? But we know that there were other voices, for sure, and in the end it became the settled will of those group of people, that they'd entered this new world where it was clear what they were going to do, and therefore they they ran you know, up the aisle and, uh, and, and everything that happened. So, so I believe in the legitimacy of that picture. I think it did not. I, I profoundly disagreed with that Guardian writer. I thought, okay, he's entitled to his opinion, but I really disagree, and I think it was a, a cheap shot at a serious piece of acting. Uh, but, you know, he's entitled to his view. Lastly, all of those families saw that film, and that was the sort of important to the process that I show them the film and they all well, I, I would say they all are very proud of that that was certainly the impression they gave to me and to this day remain proud why? because at the end of the day although they all died that plane did not reach its target and whatever you say about those events if any of us there were on that plane you know what would we have done? I mean pray God that we weren't uh, and, and that was the story that was told in that so, so do I think it was a journalistic truth do I think it's a verifiable truth no but do I think that when you watch that film you have an overwhelming sense of a group of actors showing you really profound truths about what that experience was and what it meant and what it meant was not what politicians said it meant what it meant was humanity in extremists. That's what you felt at the end of that film. A sense of humanity in this terrible dark place struggling for the controls of the world. Do I think it spoke to that? I think it did and I stand by every frame of that film. Does that answer your question? But thanks for asking it because I've wanted to give that explanation. I got asked that the other day actually. <laughs> oh really? Okay. Yeah. But it was some wanker at the BBC and you had 30 <laughs> seconds to reply. And they did the same thing. There's been a lot of criticism of your film and you go, no, there was one criticism about 10 years ago. You know? Okay, I'm sure we'd love to have more questions uh, but I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Thanks for your questions. Thank you. thank you. Thank you to Paul Greengrass. Thank you.